salvation. I'm in love so desperately. No one is as lovely as you are. There is no one else who has my heart. Jesus, you have become
awestruck wonder at the mention of your Alvin and Theodore, if they're here. You have to be a certain age to have gotten that. None of the kids laughed. Did you notice that? All right. It looks like we have a full crew. Guys, if you want to come over this way, that way everybody can see all of you and we'll be able to hear what you have to say. And you even lined up almost in height order. Wow, you've been trained really well for picture-taking day, right? Um, You guys had the opportunity to attend something called Super Start. Mia, can you tell us what Super Start is? Uh, It's like a VBS for like two days or something. Yeah. (laughs) So a two-day kind of VBS where you went and you learned different kinds of things. What were some of the things that they talked about while you were there? The truth. Talked all about the truth. And is that why you guys have your shirts, the truth will set you free? Awesome. Um, that was your verse for the, for the week. What was your, Maggie, what was your favorite part of being at Superstart? They did a play about the truth and it was a really fun play. Awesome. Uh, while you were there, the play, did you guys have a chance to participate or did they do it in front of you? They did it in front of us. Okay, okay. And Julia, what would you say after being there for the, that time, what would you say was the thing that was most memorable for you? What, what probably will you remember more than anything else? 
how they taught us how we could connect to God in the most simplest ways. Ah, okay. So, simple ways for you to connect with God. What were some of those things that they suggested you might be able to do? Sit in quiet and pray. Is it hard to sit quietly? <laughs> it is sometimes hard to sit quietly. Do you ever sit down to think about something and everything's quiet, but then all of a sudden your mind starts thinking about something else entirely? Absolutely, yeah. It is kind of hard. You have to concentrate. You really have to focus. Anything else that they taught you about ways that you can connect with God that you remember? Anybody? Sitting quietly. Reading. Okay. What was that? Small group time. Okay, some time where you're with other people, maybe in a small group, so that you can talk about God or what he's teaching you or what you're learning about him as you're reading or listening to him. Great. Um, anybody else? What was, what's the thing that you'll remember the most about your... I'm sorry. Where would you like me to be? <laughs> One side or the other? <laughs> um, what's the thing that you'll remember the most about your time there? Um, it's really fun. You... When you learn it, it, they make learning fun there. Great. That's a bonus, right? You get to go there and you learned lots of stuff, but not was it just sitting and learning boring, but it was fun kind of learning. Anybody else? Thing you'll remember the most about your time there? The cupcake caper. (laughs) Cupcake caper, which was sad, but you'll remember it a lot. All right. And if you have the chance to go back again, would you go back? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, Would you, if you could talk with parents out there who have other kids that didn't have the chance to go this time, what would you say to them if their kid has the chance to go? What would you tell them? Um, That it's really good and... It teaches you a lot about God. Okay. What would you say to a parent who has a kid who's thinking about going next time? I have no idea. (laughs) She'll think about it. We'll get back to her. Let them go. Make them go. It's a lot of fun once you do it. All right. What would you say? Make them go. It's worth it. All right. You've had a chance to see some pictures that were um, up on the screen as we were talking to the kids about it. If um, you remember correctly, you all may have participated. If you donated something for the bake sale that we had several weeks ago, if you purchased something at the bake sale, then um, you were uh, instrumental in helping the kids go. Their point was that they had the opportunity to learn about God and about connecting with Him, as you've heard, but also... They learned how to share their faith, right? You learned a lot about being able to let other people know. And um, you even developed your own truth plan that you're going to share with other kids, right? Friends that you have. Excellent. Um, They're going to be sharing with their friends about... VBS and inviting friends to come to our VBS program here. And you have the opportunity to participate as well. As Joe mentioned earlier, we'll be meeting here at 5 o'clock. You'll receive some flyers, hand them out to friends. We'll be going out to some neighborhoods in the area. And that's our purpose is letting other people know what the truth is. Thank you all. You did a fantastic job. I'm so glad you had the chance to go.
have one more uh, special announcement that uh, I would like to make before we go to the sermon, but I'm going to need some help. Sandy Miranda, if you would come up here. Yes, you do have to. This is Sandy's first Sunday here in 11 years where she is unemployed. Uh, Retiring this week, and uh, we just wanted to say thank you uh, for everything you have done uh, for Mac and what you mean. And we wish you the best of luck in your new full-time job as taking care of Doug. And, uh, and, And being a grandma. Yeah. And uh, enjoying all that. So we just simply wanted to just say thank you this morning. We tried to figure out how could we most embarrass her. We came up with that. So uh, we do thank uh, Sandy. And uh, also along with that, Uh, We have hired a new bookkeeper, Patty Trotty, uh, is going to be filling in uh, for her. Uh, So we are, there you are, you guys are usually over here, move places on me and I get lost. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we get ready to move into his word. Father, thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for for kids. Uh, Lord, for... for, just watching over and caring and and developing them. We thank you for uh, those that were able to go and uh, Lord for what they will bring back and how it will impact all of us. Uh, and so, Father, we just uh, we thank you too for for this body, for this church, your church, and Lord, what you are desiring to do in our midst, what you have done, what you uh, have accomplished in years past, and as we look forward. Lord, this morning we pray for the Stoltzes and just the, the grieving process. We pl- pray that you would show up in their lives as you have always done. And Father, help them grieve. Be a comfort and a peace to them uh, in these days ahead that uh, you will uh, lift them up in the low times. Father, that you will send people to encourage them. Uh, Lord, we pray for the 18th. And Father, this for the outpouring of your spirit, of your love uh, upon that family with the loss of a husband, loss of a father. Lord, loss of a friend. And uh, so, Lord, we just, we want to lift them up. We pray for those that are struggling this morning. For those that, uh, Lord, life just sometimes overwhelms. And uh, that, that just get hit. We pray that you would comfort that you would again draw people alongside them. Father, we pray for Grant and and Tisha and Grant's recovery. Uh, Lord, he's where the doctors need him to be, but he's not where he wants to be. And so we just pray that you would give him the patience in the process, that you would alleviate the pain in the process. Uh, Father, that uh, he would be able to return back to a full-time schedule and uh, and ministry to our kids. Father, there are many that are in need. Many in this community, and we just pray uh, 
that as we go into summer months and and some things just kind of back off and Lord we can easily forget uh, who you are what you are desiring to do Father would you just again make your presence known make your will known uh, in our midst Father we pray for revival in our city we pray for the lost those that woke up this morning and today was like any other day that have no knowledge of you that are, that are unaware of the danger of life separated from you. Father, give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us the love and the desire, the brokenness for them. That we would go into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces. Father, with this incredible message, this incredible gospel uh, of life, of relationship with you, of forgiveness, of wholeness, of healing. Father, this morning, open our eyes to your word. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yesterday, as we were sitting at the men's breakfast and just idly chit-chatting as we do around the table and uh, sharing always good, good food and, and good conversation, the, the topic of chiropractors came up. I don't know if that had anything to do with the group of guys that was sitting around the table and all of our aches and pains, but the topic of, of, of going to see a chiropractor came up, and I, I kind of chimed in that a few years ago, I was suffering from a lot of, of lower back and, and neck pain, and, and I decided, well, well, we'll give it a shot. And I asked around, I found a chiropractor where we were living at the time, and, and I went in, and he did all the, you know, pushing and poking and took x-rays, and then he looked at the x-rays and he said, I'm going to guess the car accident was about 18 years ago. I went, yep, about 18 years ago. He said, because I can tell that there's whiplash there that you've never done anything with. And I said, no, didn't know I had it. Um, and, uh, and so then he set up a course and he began over the next several weeks and then months. And, and I think it might have even stretched to a year um, of manipulating and, and moving and changing. And the pain over time disappeared and, and I quit going. But the fact that... I didn't deal with the whiplash when I was 26 meant that at 44 I walked with a slight limp or just some pain uh, when I would get up and move and my body was actually working against itself to overcome the internal problems that I was having that by trying to adjust itself it actually messed itself up even more now, in any organization, any organism, there's going to be internal strife. It's bound to happen that different parts of the body don't work together the way they're supposed to or designed to work together. And while the church is the body of Christ, we know we are imperfect people. And so the church is an imperfect Organism or organization, however you want to look at it. 
And so internal strife is bound to happen. We still have struggles as individuals with sin. And that's going to carry over into relationships. That, that struggle that we have, if, we, if we're not careful, if we don't take care of it, it's going to cause a limp. It's going to cause another part of the, the body to, to kind of have to compensate and, and overcome. And, and, and things just aren't going to work as smoothly or as right as they should. And sometimes we as individuals and we as a church need a spiritual adjustment to get things lined back up. To get things back where they are, because it's easy to get off track. It's easy to to just kind of roam and, and, and kind of veer off a given path. The worst evil that a church can suffer from is an internal evil. We can take an onslaught of outsiders bashing the church bashing Christ. We can handle that. We can, we can come together and, and fight against that or pray against that and, and, and handle that onslaught. And, and Nehemiah, as we've been walking through that, and we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5 today, as Nehemiah, as we've walked through his, his story, his diary of, of his life and, and rebuilding the wall, we see that he did face those outside, that Sanballat, Tobias, and, and Gershom, and, and the others uh, that were coming against them, and that it actually unified the people. And then we we said that some of them battled that discouragement, their own inner turmoil. But what what Nehemiah had to battle in chapter 5 was probably the hardest and potentially most dangerous of all the struggles. And that was when the body was warring against itself. When one group was being overlooked or mistreated or felt slighted by another group. And it completely, almost completely shut down the operation. Nehemiah's diary of rebuilding the wall is actually, this whole book is actually used in leadership training. And how leaders should lead, because Nehemiah is an incredible example of leadership. And it's, it's been interesting to walk through and, and get the principles, not just of leadership, but the principles for all of us, because it really applies to everybody as much as it does for leaders. That there's going to be times where situations create strife in the body, where each of us go about handling it will, will be key as to whether the church survives it, whether the church comes out of it, whether we move forward, or whether we develop a limp is all in how we are going to interact, all in how we are going to decide to handle any strife that may arise. And it will. Because we're imperfect people. And, and we're called to work together. We're called to do things that, that are, are beyond us. We're called to do things where we are dependent on the other person. You know, the whole First Corinthians that the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't have need of you. Because the hand's not going to do its foot work if the foot doesn't take it where it needs to go. And the foot can take it where it needs to go, but if the hand doesn't do its work, then it was a wasted trip. And so we are all dependent upon one another. And so there's going to be times of struggle. In, inner struggle. Inner strife within the body. And as we have been pulling out these principles, the principle that we need to understand today... Renewal renewal principle number eight is that a united vision requires a united people. 
If we are going to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish as a church, if we are going to, to be a part of reconciling Delaware County, Ball State University, and expanding to the ends of the earth, if we are going to accomplish those things, it is going to require us pulling together. It's going to require a united front, working through handling those struggles. So Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to look at at what he had to face and then how he dealt with it. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 says, There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, We, our sons and our daughters are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, Each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners, but now you sell your own countrymen, and we have to buy them back. They remained silent, could not say a word. Then I said, "What What you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let us stop charging this interest. Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil that you have been assessing them. And they responded, we will return these things and require nothing more from them. What we will do as you say. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also shook the folds of my robe and said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until his 32nd year, 12 years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking food and wine from them as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but I didn't do this because of the fear of God. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of the wall, and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. There were 150 Jews and officials, as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some fowl were prepared for them. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every ten days, but I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor, because the burden on the people was so heavy. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. Three things that Nehemiah had to have and that the people had to have in order to be able to handle the strife and handle this inner turmoil and be able to finish what God had called them to do. And the first one was that he had to have a clear view of people. We have to have a clear view of people. We have to understand the people that are around us. There was a widespread outcry. There was misery within the ranks. And and it wasn't the, the leadership that was in the outcry. 
It was the, the day-to-day people, everyday people that were working on the wall, that were trying to make a living, that were trying to get, get by, that were trying to survive. And, and Nehemiah, this is the principle that he had, Nehemiah, with his understanding of people, valued every person the same. There was no favoritism with Nehemiah. There was no favored position He knew as a leader that every person had to be given a voice and it had to be heard. And that is true within the body. That every one of us needs to have a voice. Every one of us needs to be heard. Every one of us needs to to be open about where we are and what we are facing and, and, and what we are undergoing. And I know it is easy to rule some people out. To just write them off in our life. Write them off as unimportant. Write them off as, well, they don't really contribute as much time. They don't really, aren't really involved. They're different than us. They're not as educated. They're not as experienced. And, and over time, we can actually develop a prejudice against certain people, against a group of people against a type of person within the church. And it's easy to bring that that attitude into the body of Christ. That they're different from me. And so I don't need to pay attention. I don't need to understand. I don't need to try to understand who they are, where they're at, or what they're facing. A Polish sociologist, and just the fact that I said he was a Polish sociologist, some of you have already said, okay... A Polish sociologist suggested that we tend to divide human beings into three different categories. We have people people. Okay? People people are the people that we consider to be on our level or above us. These are the people that we are comfortable around, that we will confide in, that we, we desire relationship with, we seek relationship with. Sometimes because they're on our same level, or we desire because they seem to be a little above us. We want to hang with the cool kids. We want to sit at the cool table. And so we do whatever we can to kind of to, to treat these people people the best we can possibly treat people. Because they're our kind of people. They're the kind of people we want to be. The kind of people we want to be around. We seek their approval. We seek their opinion. Second category is that of machine people. Machine people are those people that if they didn't have something we wanted or needed, we probably would not associate with them at all. But the fact that they're a part of the machine, they're a part of the thing that makes my life go... I'll spend time with them because I'm going to get something back from that investment of time, that investment of relationship, that investment of emotion. They have something I want, I need, so I will invest in that relationship in order to get back what I need to make my life better. And then there are the third people, the landscape people. These are the rest of the people that we come in contact with. We have no interest in them whatsoever. They simply just appear in the landscape. We walk by them. We don't notice them. We don't see them most of the time. We're not paying attention to them. 
Because they have nothing to offer us. They are not like us. And so I'm not going to invest any kind of energy into them. Those three types of people not only exist in the world, many times they exist in the church. That we have people that are people people. We have machine people that that offer us something. And we just have landscape people that we walk completely past. I was convicted of this Friday night. When we were sitting, my wife and I went to uh, a restaurant. Date night, kids were gone. We kicked two of them out of town and we sent one to work. And so we were able to enjoy a meal by ourselves. and, and, And that's what I was focused on. I was focused on her and I. I know that's going to sound romantic. Don't let it go there. It really wasn't that romantic. But I wanted to just focus her and I is what we were focused on. And everyone else in the restaurant blended into the landscape. Everyone else. And a gentleman came up. One of the, the waiters there came up and said... And at first I didn't understand what he said. He said, hey, preach, how you doing? And I, I went, what? And he backed up and just said, how, how are you doing? And I said, oh, we're doing great. And as he walked away, I went, I should know who that is. <laughs> but for that moment, I allowed them to just blend into the landscape. I figured out who it was. And then I spent the rest of the meal not focusing on my wife at all, but focusing on trying to getting his attention to correct what I had done. Or maybe just what I hadn't done. And bring him into the people-people category, rather than the landscape people. But we all do that, do we not? Do we not have people that, that are just landscape? They're just machine. And what we need to do is eliminate those two and we need to bring them into people, people. Nehemiah saw the entire nation as people, people. People that needed cared for. People that needed encouraged. People that needed people to come alongside them. Nehemiah valued people. All people. He listened to their concerns. When the outcry came, he jumped to attention. And this was not, these were, these were not the machine people. These were not the people people that were in the outcry. It's the ones that usually, it's the people in most, uh, most communities that are, that are on the fringe. These were the poor, the neglected. The ones that many times we, we walk by, many times we even try to avoid. His categories of people when he said there, there were noblemen and there were, there were officials, and that, that was more just for organization, not, not importance. Because Nehemiah saw everyone as important. Everyone has, had a voice. Everyone needed to, to be able to, to speak their mind, needed to be able to say, needed to be able to make suggestions, needed to be able to challenge what was happening. Within the body of believers, everybody matters. Everyone sitting in here this morning matters. All are important. All have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. All hopefully are being directed by the Holy Spirit. And therefore all have something to give. All all have importance. All carry significance. 
to the body of Christ. None more than anyone else. There's to be an equality within the church. Not a hierarchy of favoritism. Verse 5 says, We and our children are just like our countrymen. So the ones who are, are, who are giving this outcry say, We're just like the nobles. We're just like the ones that are oppressing us. We're just like them. We have kids. We have issues. We have, we have, we have problems. We have struggles. We have joys. We're just like them. And that's true. And Nehemiah understood that. We are all alike. We are, we are rich and poor alike. We are men and women alike. We are young and old. It doesn't matter the, the color of skin or, or where we come from. We all have the same Creator God. We are all equal as sinners who, who need salvation. We are all people people. We need to begin looking or continue looking at one another in that way. No one should ever feel like a machine person. And no one should ever feel like a landscape person. It, 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 it kills me when someone can say that they can walk in and walk out and no one notices them. When they can walk in and walk out. And I know some want to walk in and walk out and that's fine. But for someone to be able to walk in, participate, and walk out, it's not right. We're people people. We're called to be people people. We're called to, be, to love one another, to reach out, to come alongside, no matter. Leaders, we have to be willing to listen. If you're in a leadership role in the church, we have to be willing to listen. We have to have ears to hear. We have to be intentional. If we're not leaders, we, we have to be willing to trust the leaders to listen. We have to be willing to outcry if need be. Trusting that it will be taken care of. Trusting that, 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 that we'll all pull together to solve whatever the issue is. There, were, there was a lot of, of trust in Nehemiah for the, the, the countrymen or for the people and their wives to, to give this incredible outcry. Because they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. It could have gotten a whole lot worse for them. But we're to be united around one another. A united vision requires a united people. And as we move forward, if, if you have a concern, the elders need to hear it. Finance board needs to hear it. Staff needs to hear it. Because we're moving together together. We're moving forward as one. And every life matters. Every voice matters. We're all to be people, people. A deep sense of community to care for one another. That, that deep sense of internal care is going to spill over into our relationships with those that we're trying to reach. We need to have a clear view of people. The second thing Nehemiah said and, and, and demonstrated for us is that we need to have a clear view of truth. 
If we're going to have a clear view of people, we need to understand a clear view of truth, of God's, of God's Word, of, of His law. Because Nehemiah took their, their complaints. And, and some can read this as, you know, it's going to be a sermon about no whining. They weren't whining. Complaints aren't whining. There are many times injustices. There's many times where, where we've just gone sideways. We've just veered off. And it needs to be pointed out. It needs to be understood. And so these, these group, this group of people weren't whining to Nehemiah. They were just stating this is where we're at. This is what's happening. And Nehemiah took that view, took, took what they were saying, that outcry, and he, he lined it up with what Scripture taught. They had a legitimate complaint. The socioeconomic situation that, that Nehemiah was in, that the people were in, was not unlike ours or almost any other culture throughout history. There were the haves, there were the have sums, and there were the have nots. And Jesus even said that's always going to be the case. You will always have the poor. The poor will always be among you. There will always be some that have more than others. That's just, that's just the way it's going to work. But the have-nots were having a hard time getting enough food for their families. Haggai chapter 2 talks of a time when, when Zerubbabel was governor that God sent a blight on, on the people, on all the grain and all of the wine. And they were still coming out of that. Eighty years later, seventy years later, they were still struggling with that, with that famine, with what was happening. And not everyone had enough to eat. And now with the waves of new people moving back, there was even less food and more people. We have to understand that some of the land that they were buying was not owned by Jews, it was owned by Persia. By the Medes. And so they were coming back and buying land. They were having to pay taxes to the king of Persia. And so trying to find enough food, trying to pay my mortgage, trying to pay my taxes, I was starving. I didn't have anything left. There wasn't enough to do all of those things. And now you're asking me to give up part of my work day because I'm going to build a wall. We need some help, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah went and he considered it. He thought through what was happening. And here's how culturally it worked. That many times if you were indebted to someone and you were unable to pay the debt, you simply gave them your life as a slave, as a servant. And you worked off the debt. And they were doing that. They were doing that to the, the Persians that, that, that owned their mortgages. They were, they were selling themselves to who they were indebted to. And if it got really bad, you sold your kids. Now, some of you might start there. But if it got really, really bad, you put your kids into slavery. And that was a last resort. Because you knew in most cases those kids were going to be mistreated. The girls especially, the daughters especially. But it was a matter of survival. And what Nehemiah found out is that not only were the foreign rulers doing this to the people, 
But the Jewish nobles figured out this is a way we can get richer. And they started charging interest. They started taking them as slaves. They started taking their children. And Nehemiah said, that's not how God's law works. That is not what is to be done. And Nehemiah, when he heard what was happening, he was outraged because they were not following God's law. Leviticus chapter 25 says, If your brother among you becomes destitute and sells himself to you, you must not force him to do slave labor. Strike one. Let him stay with you as a hired hand or temporary resident. He may work for you until the year of Jubilee. Now what's the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee is when they went and went and wiped away every debt. That if I had land and I had to mortgage it off in order to pay you back, in the year of Jubilee, you gave me the land back. You gave me, if I had become your slave, you released me. If I had become your household servant, you released me. And we set everything back the way it was seven years prior. Every seven years, they wiped the slate clean. Here they had not done that. They had forgotten that. And they were taking them on. He said, and then he and his children are to be released from you and he may return to his clan and his ancestral property. There are not to be sold as slaves because they are my slaves that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You are not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. You see, because they're not your people. They're God's people. And in that, we all have an equality. We're all equal in God's sight. God's word was direct. God's word was plain. That, that their thoughts and their actions were, were, were unacceptable. They needed to understand that if we're going to have a united vision, we have to be a united people. And, and you are not living according to the truth. Because the thing that's going to unite our thinking, the thing that's going to unite our actions is God's word. That has to be foundational to, to everything we think and everything we believe and everything we do. And then when we start to slide off that foundation, we get ourselves in trouble. And there are times when we'll do it unintentionally. And someone has to draw it to our attention and pull us back. That we have to stay in God's word. We have to stay reading, stay studying, stay understanding, stay repenting of times that we have gone off so that we as individuals and we as a body can continue to build on that foundation. Clear view of people, clear view of truth. And the third thing that Nehemiah had was he had a clear view of responsibility. He knew it was up to him. He knew that each one of us, it was up to us as individuals. Nehemiah saw his part of the problem. Or at least the potential for him to, to contribute to the problem. And he took action against it before he even got there. Because he could have easily added burden onto the people. But he didn't take the governor's pay. He didn't take the governor's food. He didn't take the governor's wine. He actually used that to distribute and help everyone else. To make sure that people were taken care of. He mentions that past governors had placed a, a heavy burden on the people taking their food, taking their wine. And in fact, those are the very things that Haggai mentioned were hit with the blight, were hit with the famine, was the food and the wine. 
And here the governors were coming in and the one thing that was hurting them the most, he, they were requiring more of them. Verse 15 says, The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking food and wine from them, as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but I didn't do this because of the fear of God. That's our responsibility. I didn't do that. I didn't go the way of the world. I didn't do what others were doing. I didn't do what could have been done because of the fear of God. I stayed straight. I stayed true. I stayed people, people. I stayed with the truth. And even the officials, when they were confronted, repented of what they were doing. It says in verse 12, We will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. And the people came back together in unity. Back together as a oneness. Back together of working side by side. Not working against each other, but working for each other. The challenge this morning is for all of us to be able to say that. That the world has one set of standards by which it operates. The world has a set of expectations by which it operates. But we will not do that. As Nehemiah said, I didn't do that. I didn't do what was legal. I didn't do what was, what was allowed. Because I knew what it would do to the people, people. I knew what it would do to, to my countrymen. I knew what the burden that it would lay upon them. And I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to be a help. I wanted us to work together. God is all about reconciling people to himself, but he also delights in reconciling the different parts of the body of Christ. There are times we can get separated. There are times that there will be people in a church we just want to avoid. We can't do that. I will not do that. Because it doesn't help the body. It hinders the body. It stops the progression of the work. It makes it difficult to reconcile the people who are lost to God when the people who have already been reconciled are at odds. So as we move forward, we have to continually check ourselves. We have to continually ask, who are the people people? Who have I made a machine people? Who have I made a landscape people? And we need to get rid of those last two categories. Begin pulling together. Begin reaching to one another. Begin loving, caring for one another. I've seen churches go through it. I've seen churches where, where the leadership started going sideways. The leadership actually moved away from God's Word. That the elders of the church said, You know what? We're not going to teach the Bible anymore. Let's look at, focus on some of these other things. Some of these other books that are out there that will help us live better lives. There was a handful of people that called them on it. It was a church where I was doing my internship in college. Talk about walking into a buzzsaw. I was one of the ones that I sat down with the pastor and I said, this isn't right. And they said, well, this is what we're going to do. 
at about 30, 40, walked out. My dad here this morning, my mom and dad were two of those that walked. Because they understood that we had to have a clear view of truth. We had to have a foundation. And those 30 or 40 stayed together and started a church in my mom and dad's living room. I finished my internship quietly and got out of jaw dodge as quick as I could. And that church, I couldn't tell you what they're doing today. I'm pretty sure not a whole lot. Because they didn't have a foundation of truth. They didn't view it as a, as a clear responsibility to maintain truth. To maintain relationship. To allow other people to speak into their life when maybe they've started to waver one side or the other. With our relationships in the church and outside the church, we are to live above reproach. Just because the world does it, just because they say it's legal, we will not do that. Because it doesn't line up with Scripture. The law is oftentimes the lowest standard. Just fulfill your obligation to the law. But grace goes beyond the law. Grace says there is no law. Grace says that, that, that we go beyond the requirements. That grace is of no value unless it leads us to a standard of conduct which is higher than the moral climate of our culture. We don't live by the least common denominator. God said, be holy as I am holy. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you everything that you need for, for, for righteousness. I'm going to enable you. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit that you might live lives. Live such good lives that people are going to see your deeds. They're going to see the way you live life. And they're going to want to glorify your God, your Father as well. That we want to do. That's how Nehemiah lived. People, people. Clear view of the truth. Clear view of his own responsibility to the body. His own responsibility to the cause, to the, to the call that God had placed upon their people. And a united vision requires a united people. And that requires that we see value in everyone. That we conduct ourselves according to Scripture and not according to the world around us. And that we take responsibility for what we bring to the body. That we are not landscape people by choice. That we are not machine people by choice. But we are people people. Father, thank you for challenge. Thank you for encouraging. Thank you for bringing this body together, for, for calling us out. Father, it's my prayer that, that we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be the body of Christ to one another. Father, that we would, that, that we would not take advantage of, but that we would come alongside each and every one. Father, that you would lead through every one of us. That, that, that you would send us all out. That we all have that responsibility. That we all have, have that call to live such good lives. To be above reproach. That, Father, you might use us to draw people to yourself. 
that, Father, to reconcile people to yourself, that, that Jesus would be so evident in our life, that we would lift him up in, in our deeds, in our actions, in our thoughts. Father, continue to challenge us. Continue to not, not allow us to just settle in. Settle into a way of doing things. Lord, may your power, your life, your holiness be evident in this, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.
writes the Ephesians, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called it to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. We are one. Let us live as one. That, that the people will know, that those that we come in contact with will know that we are a part of a community that loves one another, that cares for one another, that, that adores Jesus more than anything else. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We will see you back here tonight at 5. We have enough neighborhoods and flyers that if every one of us shows up, we probably still won't reach them all. So we need everyone to come bring kids. It's a great family outing, great time to, to be together. So we'll see you back here at 5 o'clock tonight.